BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, a quick note about ads from us, your hosts. We are picky about our advertisers and all of our partners or brands or products that we either use ourselves or that we think our audience would benefit from knowing about. Working with advertisers is what allows us to make this show and they keep working with us because you, our listeners, use the unique links and codes they provide. It's one of the most meaningful ways to support what we do. So thanks for that. We're really, really grateful. If you're ever looking for a specific code, head to a thing or two hq.com slash sponsors and you'll find them all. Okay, here's the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. Do you know the term revenge procrastination? Yeah-ish. Do you yeah. do it? Not really. Yeah, you you don't seem like the type who would. <laughs> I was thinking about you. I can think of only like a very few places in your life where you, you do not practice extreme moderation. You think so? Yeah. Like, I think well, you're okay, just a very ways, moderate person. When are the ways that I'm not? You're like, how do I care? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I just, what are they? This isn't even not the opposite of moderation. The only time I've ever seen you not be moderate about consumption is sour candies. Oh, yeah, that's a good um, one. Yeah, that's yeah. the only Very time immoderate. I've ever seen you not Very practice immoderate. moderation. And then when it comes to when you make a rule for yourself, you follow it. So that's not really that's I mean, yeah, it's different yeah. than moderation. But you're like, <laughs> yeah, you, right. OK, anyway, so and, yeah, tell, tell me about Chris calls it oblivion time, which uh -huh. I actually think for me is a better term. So but the Internet calls it revenge procrastination and it's described. Well, as the Internet likes the term revenge in general, and I'm not sure <laughs> who we're getting revenge on. Um, well, and the reason they call it revenge procrastination is because you are procrastinating on sleep. Yeah. Which. Okay, so it says the decision to sacrifice sleep for leisure time that is driven by a daily schedule lacking in free time. And what it is, is that moment when it's time to go to bed, but you've been so sort of stimulated or busy or whatever all day, scheduled all day. That you so haven't like, had time to dick around. To dick around. Yeah. And I think it's become a hot topic because all of the social media, but TikTok in particular, lends itself really well to what I will refer to as oblivion time. Yes. Which to me, like Chris has always been a big proponent of this of like he just wants time where no one knows where he is or what he's doing and it's totally up to him and yeah. it's like 
There is no clock and it's just for hours you just do what you want and everybody does something different with it. I think conceptually that's lovely. Yeah. I Yes, I yeah. do too. It usually, of course, happens for practical reasons at one in the morning. Yeah. Because that is when you can you claim can be by that yourself. time. Yeah. yeah. And I definitely have been, I think becoming a parent has, for obvious reasons, made oblivion time bigger in my life because my evening hours when I'm usually decompressing are very regimented and my attention is fully focused on somebody else. And and so then when I finally get Cam to bed, it's like, oh my God, I just want, I just, I will not do anything productive. I will not interact with others. I will waste time. I will demand entertainment from an external source. I just- yes. Thomas definitely practices oblivion time. Mm -hmm. It's mostly when I go to bed mm -hmm. and then that's when- He's looking at sports scores and watching yeah. highlights and whatever, where I always mentally wonder, how are you keeping up with all of this? Because right. we will have conversations with people where he'll know that so-and-so got traded or like that, you know, so-and-so was injured or all of these things. Yeah. I'm like, when is that happening? I'm like, oh, right. It's from 11 to 1 in the morning. Right. Right. It feels almost <laughs> this like physiological necessity where yeah. I'm like, no, I yeah. desperately need this. And it is. And this is depressing to say, but it's like one of the few times where I sort of let my thoughts flow freely and you have these sort of creative thinking moments. And certainly like a lot of the things we talk about and we work on are fed by the shit I randomly encounter on TikTok, right? Yes. These things are not all bad at the same time. You can spend hours and be like, what did I just did it do? Just happen? Yeah, I yeah. do. I really think that TikTok of all things has been the thing that has really catapulted this behavior for a lot of people and made it something that we discuss a lot. Obviously, the inclination to stay up and binge content at, in late at night by yourself is not a new behavior. And right. I do, the thing about TikTok is it's truly just channel surfing, right? Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. You, you have to do less work for it. It's like almost 90s channel surfing late night. You know that what I'm saying? That is exactly what it Where is Where you're like. like, oh, wait, this is public access yes. TV. This is like weird, like reruns. This is bad movies. It's I that. truly have yeah. a sense memory from like almost childhood of being in my grandparents' yeah. apartment being like, oh my God, I'll watch anything. Like what anything, is this weird stuff? Anything. I am also at the same time trying to get more sleep because yeah. it's so important. And so I'm trying to sort of balance my sense of this is actually somehow sort of necessary slash productive with I need to put a time limit on it and go to uh -huh, bed. So I've uh -huh. been trying to just be like at 1130, I will stop, which usually means at 1140, I will stop, but it, I will just be like, you have, you've got to stop or whatever time it is. There's, you know, however long I've been doing it. I don't think I consume too much TikTok. It's, it's something that once I'm in it, it's hard to turn off, but I'm not compulsive about it. But I, I am like, there's got to also be alternative ways other than TikTok. Cause like journaling ain't it. Journaling requires e too much work of you. Yes, exactly. Well, that's um, requiring too much engagement right. from you and you're actually trying to disengage yeah. a bit. I like the idea of oblivion time. I think the like TikTok or social media of it all is a little challenging because mm -hmm. it's like people are trying to take ownership of this thing and maybe discrediting how much the algorithm and these like <sighs> tools are fueling yes. it and being like, I've made this decision. Oh, and it's like, right. sure, sure, sure. You yes. decided to open this thing, but that's about it. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, as we discussed on a previous episode, all these social platforms are all disastrous yeah. in that way and generally bad for us, for all of us. Yeah. So in that sense, I don't think it's great. There's got to be better ways. I'm curious to hear from people what their approaches to this oblivion time are and also how they're putting time limits on it. Yeah. You know what? I wonder how YouTube would perform in this space. Well, 
you, I was going to say that which I is can not, re- <laughs> which to be fair yeah. is another algorithm, just as bad and, yeah, and it's extreme. That but. is definitely how I used to spend. I went through a YouTube era in like 2007, 2008. I would watch a lot of YouTube at night, and that is definitely, I think, for a lot of people, their oblivion time. Yeah, people with longer attention spans, maybe. Interesting. I don't know. Of course, it is in the in the way that you stated not the same as channel surfing because you are not choosing. But it is that same just like flipping through, no thinking like the next channel will give me the thing that will stimulate me. Right, 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 right. Thing. I think for me, the thing is mine is not oblivion time. It's more just like wind down bedtime mm-hmm. and it's like always reading. And there isn't yeah. a single night where I don't read yeah. before bed, even if yeah. it's just two pages. Because I think for me, part of the process of falling asleep is a book. Yeah. I've yeah. definitely been doing more of that. The more I've tried this year to be more conscious of my social consumption because books will either put you to sleep or keep you up all night. Yeah, yeah. I think I've gotten really bad at reading nonfiction at mm. night because it, requ- it, it, again, in that same way that you're saying journaling yeah. does, it like just requires so much of my brain yeah. and I want to remember things yeah. and I want to keep things. And it feels like just sort of a bad use of that. Celebrity memoir being the, the exception. exception. But fiction, I think for me, is that perfect escape of being like, oh, I can get a little lost yeah. here. And Sometimes my brain does like interesting work and sometimes it just shuts down and that's either way is fine. Certain fiction I can do certain. If it's really good, I will. I truly cannot put it down. No, I know. And I get like, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Because again, moderation, not my strong suit. So actually, sometimes I like the nonfiction because it will just put me to sleep immediately. Right. Because I can really four pages. pages, I'm done. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I mean, in general, look, I I know that I'm supposed to just not even have my phone in my bedroom. That's the aspiration. Oh, but like, fuck that. I just think we have to be past that as a, I not even past too. that as a culture, but just yeah. like, okay, like sure, sure, sure. That's the idea. But let's be, let's be real about this. I was talking to some friends the other weekend who were telling me that they do leave their phones out of the bedroom. And I was like, what you're telling me right now, you may as well be telling me that you've gone full vegan and cold plunge every morning. Like yeah. it feels yeah. so outside the realm of, of reality <laughs> yes and so extreme and yet so many people do it so many people have responded to our thingies to tell us that that's their new thing and hilariously because clearly I'm just not mentally ready to make the leap or psychologically ready my hang-up is always like but I haven't found a good alarm clock as if that's oh, the thing oh you can do what happens in my house Claire Thomas leaves his phone outside the bedroom and then when his alarm goes off and I'm already up, I'm the bitch who has to get yeah. out of bed to turn it off. Yeah, and I'm bad. like, what are we doing here? This is not a system. These friends to to like draw this out further. Yes. Yeah. They were like, wait, you use an alarm clock? <laughs> what do you mean? They just have mental alarm clocks. What? Which I know some people do, but wait. apparently. No, I know, Erica. And what? I, I had a friend growing up, my camp friend, Stella Jacaruso, who had... <laughs> A mental alarm clock. And I truly thought I was like, you are one of, I don't know, 10,000 people in the like world. Like you have photographic has... memory. Yes, you have a mental alarm exactly. Clock. Like yeah. I was like, you have yeah. this weird super skill, how funny and weird and quirky and charming. But she did. She would be like, okay, we're going to wake up at 730. And she'd wake us up at 730. What? They apparently both have this mental alarm clock where they just like, can we? They set it and forget it? I guess. I'm stunned by it. I was like, that's when I was just like, okay, this conversation has no longer become relevant to my life. Because I often wake up around the time my alarm goes of off course, because my body same. is trained yes. to do that. But yes. there is no world in which I trust this no, alarm clock. No, that's, thank you. I, it was 
the whole conversation. I will say, in addition to people's thoughts on Oblivion Time, how they are spending it, how they are limiting it, I will also accept Let's nominations about for those. good alarm clocks. And Tell me about the alarm clock you like. You know, I have one of those little, it's brawn, the like classic one. Of course. Right? The, the Dita Rams brawn. Yeah. 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 The secondhand is so fucking loud. Oh, I can't yeah. deal yeah, with yeah. <laughs> Well, the 60s, you know? Yeah. yeah they didn't have that. They didn't yeah. have that silent thing figured out. I also have the Tivoli radio alarm clock. I can't figure out how to actually set the alarm on it. I realize. <laughs> This is a Google search away, but too much for me. I just want something simple. <laughs> Sorry, it's true. Because again, clearly I'm not psychologically ready to make this leap. But. Clearly, clearly, clearly. Thank you to Air Up for sponsoring today's episode. You know when you want to enjoy a cold drink and your options are either something with lots of sugar or plain old water? If you want to stay properly hydrated and conscious of your health, it feels like there's no in-between, right? Well, here's something that will blow your mind. Air Up, the first drinking system that flavors water through scent. Impossible? Nope. Air Up is the world's first water bottle that harnesses the power of retronasal spell to bring flavor to water through scent. You're just drinking plain water, but enjoying a flavorful beverage. From watermelon and peach to wildberry, there's a flavor pod everyone will love. Drink water like never before, thanks to Air Up. Get the best of both worlds, tasty flavors, and all the benefits of water today by clicking the Air Up link in the description. Thank you so much to Nutrafol for sponsoring today's episode. I had one of those moments that you sometimes have with beauty products and beauty routines where you don't realize how good a thing is until you sort of fall off the routine of using it. And I was like, why is my hair doing this? Why is it looking like lackluster and just breaky and weird and just breaky, breaky? Why yeah. is it doing the breaky thing? And no, I, I know. And then I was like, oh, because I have kind of fallen off my Nutrafol routine and I really need to get back on it because I've been so good for so long. Like I've been very consistent for a while. And then you took I, it for, and you're sort of taking it for granted. Exactly. I took it for granted. And sometimes, you know, you get tricked into thinking you were born with it and you weren't. <laughs> it was Nutrafol. Nutrafol yeah. is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth thickness and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning. So we're talking about stress hormones, environment, nutrition, metabolism, all that stuff. Nutrafol has three unique formulas to support women throughout all stages of life. So postpartum menopause included. Each formula is physician formulated using natural drug-free and medical grade ingredients in consistently effective doses. So you get the most reliable results. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. 3,000 top doctors and stylists recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code a thing or two to save $10 off your first month subscription. This offer is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $10 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code a thing or two. Hi, everyone. I'm Peyton Sarton, host of the Note to Self podcast. Note to Self is a space to embrace your unique qualities, get grounded, and ultimately have honest conversation. No topic is off limits. I began doing social media seven years ago, and since then, I've started a clothing line and this podcast. Note to Self is a place where people from every stage of life can come for advice, new perspectives, and to feel a little less alone. Whether I'm recording by myself or bringing along a friend, we will explore topics ranging from relationships and mental wellness to social media and entrepreneurship. Tune in to Note to Self every week for the sisterly advice you didn't know you needed and raw conversations you've always wanted. 
Okay, we would like to talk a bit about fandom, Mm -hmm. which is something we touched on on an earlier episode about concerts and Mm. you going to see Harry Styles and me going to see John Party and a Mm -hmm. couple country artists and just like the people exhibiting their fandom and all of that. And we've also taught, you know, it feels like related to cringe and like all of this. It definitely Um, feels related to cringe. It's just we're living in a very earnest era and fandom is nothing if not earnest. Yes. And like this is. Yeah. So they're like a couple of like why fandom? Why now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the cringe of it all. I also I think it's the pandemic in part. I mean, you know, the pandemic is responsible for everything. But I also think there was this thing where when you couldn't gather in person in the ways that were naturally used to be built into our lives. Yeah. You had to find things and reasons and to gather virtually. Uh-huh. And fandom was an obvious one. Yes. Right. And it's like the same way that like little holidays became big holidays yes. during the pandemic. Like I yes. think fandom really proliferated yes. then, too. And then I think the other thing to continue our conversation from the previous week is just the TikTok of it all. Yeah. And there's a lot of aspects of that. But for me, the thing that has been really fascinating about TikTok is that there was so much conversation about fan culture prior to TikTok ascent in, yes. in the U.S. There were the Rihanna fans and the Beyonce fans and the Ariana Grande fans. People talk about these like fan groups and the fan culture. The hives, and how, yes, and how their sort of power and also their influence over the internet the culture BTS in general. Yes. Mobilizing the, to do this. X, right. Y, and like they obviously existed. They were very powerful, very influential, very impactful. I was familiar with them because I would read about them in the New York Times, in a book, on Twitter, whatever. When they, they bubbled up enough and they were being discussed. Right. Exactly. But I had never once actually witnessed it taking place anywhere because I assume it was all happening on in Reddit yes. or, I don't know, fan websites, I guess, message boards. I truly have no idea. What happened for me when I got on TikTok was I saw, I became like witness to the actual fan culture. And the, the fan experience. Of it. Yeah. yeah. Where you saw these fan accounts because it's being served to you on TikTok. And I know it's still happening other places, but so much of it is happening on TikTok in a way where I'm like, oh, this is where it's happening. Like I'm seeing this develop in real time in a way mm-hmm. that I find fascinating. Yes. Truly fascinating. Like For me, it could serve to me the Taylor Swift and the Harry Styles fans. That's what I see. I'm sure there's plenty of other stuff. Yes, but, yes. But it, truly, like when people talk about the Beehive, I was like, I'm sure, I don't, are these, I get, they're on Twitter, I guess, but like I'm not following them on Twitter, so I don't actually see them, right? Then also for people our age, I think the Bravo yes. of it all has come to a head. The Bravo mm-hmm. fandom yeah. has just been like, blasted at us recently. Well, obviously through Scandaball. But the other thing, and you and I were talking about this, like to really generalize and stereotype and all of that, adult women don't have as many opportunities to engage as fans. Like, of course, adult women can be fans of sports. You can be fans of whatever. These things are not divided upon gender lines. But Bravo tends to serve a largely adult female audience. And Bravo has intentionally or not built itself for fan culture. Like it is built around- The Bravo con of it all. It's built for and around fan culture. There's podcasts, there's merch and product lines, there's Bravo con. And then- There are restaurants you can go eat at to demonstrate your fandom. You can book a table at Sir. Yes, you can buy a cameo from these people. It's You can buy a skinny girl margarita. Yeah. The thing that we learned recently that was so fascinating is this idea of the Bethany Clause, where when Bethany Frankel signed on to Real Housewives, she was paid peanuts and she- 
or her lawyer, she because she in, very intentionally went into this being like, I'm not going to make any money, but it'll be good for my career. And so she put in this clause saying that the television network would have no rights to her future business ventures that she may receive as a result of the show. And, and as we all know, the rest is skinny girl history. <laughs> and now, of course, Bravo receives a percentage of the revenue earned from any business promoted on the show, except for hers, because they were like, what the fuck? What are we doing here? <laughs> like, we just put so much, we built so much value we in built this business this. and we made no this. money off yeah. of it. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, Bravo is a very fascinating fan culture in that way. I think in general, TV culture has become the one place where adults, or at least Twitter adults, yeah. are allowed to really lean into and exhibit their fandom. Like the Succession fandom yes. is insane. The Daisy Jones fandom, the Love is Blind fandom, the number of people who are posting about the Love is Blind yes. live events, the number of people who are posting about the outfits that are being worn on yes. Succession, the Grub Street story about like going to have like a succession food week. The way that adults are engaging around these TV shows feels like a new, I don't know. No, I don't I, know. I'm actually glad that you're contextualizing it in terms of fandom because I think that's maybe useful because to me, all I keep thinking is, wow, the internet is interneting so hard these days. Which is which, but also I don't, true. That, that is a meaningless thing to say. I don't know why. And I don't know truly what I mean by that because of course there's always been trending topics on the internet. Yes, right? Yes. And maybe it's just that I'm watching more of this TV. I truly don't know. But it does feel like all the things you just named. The scandal, the succession, the love is blind. The white lotus. The yes. people taking like a white lotus $7,000 trip to, to Sicily it's for their nutty, summer vacation. right? And yeah. I, I, I mean, I think people want something to belong to, to yes. engage with, to feel yes. connected about. Maybe it's a little bit of like the world is on fire, but it's not quite the fire it was for four years. I don't know. I like this is overstating it a bit, but I think fandom in in the way most people experience it can be light and fun. I think some people take fandom to a really weird, dark place. And like that is also part of this story for sure. I mean, that that is what I really experienced in this TikTok lens on Harry and And Taylor, Taylor, which is just like truly nutty where you're just like, oh God, I can't even look like at this because I'll get, yes, yeah, I'll get like sucked into this. And it's like, who is the person who created this? This is dark. Yeah. No, it can get very dark. Yeah. But I think the way that a lot of people experience fandom, the sort of bulk mm-hmm. of the population experiences fandom is this like light, fun way. And I was talking to someone recently about how basically like post World War II music was like all like upbeat and light because mm-hmm. we all needed that. And yeah. I think- that this, there's a little bit, of that, a little bit of that happening. Yeah, yeah. Too. We want the stakes to be low. Or yeah. Because we're rallying around the stakes to be like low, at yeah. least as an escape for some no, of our no, time. No, no, that makes sense. The other thing that's happening, and again, this is universal and eternal. I don't, or timeless. But I think there's a lot of just wanting to be seen. Yeah. Like you and I had breakfast with somebody who was taught when we were, and we were talking about Bravo. And she was like, yeah, I just like desperately want Scandaval merch. I want a shirt so that people know that I was there and I was a Vanderpump fan when it happened and I cared about it and that like I, I knew it and I got it and I followed it. And it's like, that's just wanting A, to be seen and to be seen by other people like you and to be like, I'm one of you, right? Yeah. And again, like, see, like, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I was listening this morning to this Ezra Klein podcast about, you know, how loneliness is at an all time high. Yes. And I think that we're just not gathering in person as much as we used to. We don't hang out as much as we used to, right? Like we probably would used to go over to a friend's house and watch these shows together. And so now it's like, if you're watching it by yourself in your house and you can connect with somebody else who is watching this, I think that that like combats that a bit. That's right. There was a Teen Vogue article about specifically like teen girl fandom and the power Mm -hmm. that this has. And Mm -hmm. I think there is this idea that like teen girl fandom 
teen girls are the ultimate fans, right? Yes. And for a long time, they were shit on for mm-hmm. it being like goofy and over mm-hmm. the top. And, yeah. you know, there's a long history of this. And just like teen girls, basically the like fandom around movies is what created the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. Like they've like laid the groundwork for mm-hmm. all of this. So this story has a quote from a psychotherapist and professor of psychology at Columbia University, Laurel Steinberg, who says, connecting with people over shared passions and interests is good for mental and emotional health because it helps create a fraternity-like or family-like sense of security. It's also generally fun to scheme and get excited about something with others and gives them a subject to talk about that they know will always be well-received. I mean, like subject to talk about that will always be well-received feels very useful. Yes. As we are regathering with people Mm -hmm. again, as we are like working, strengthening those muscles that you know you can bring up succession or White Lotus or whatever and that that will generally land. When Scandal happened, I remember multiple instances where I was engaging with somebody who I didn't know that well and I was like, would ask them, do you watch Vanderpump? Because it was a moment where I could be like, I know that if you do we can get close immediately yeah this. yeah we can bond yeah. over this but I, I do think to co- to bring back to that teen girl thing that book everything I need I get from you by Caitlin Tiffany which is more sort of about fan culture shaping the internet talks a lot about how for lonely depressed young teen girls this is has been like a life-saving in yeah. some cases outlet to engage with fan culture in this way and yeah. to feel a connection I mean I think the flip side of it is that sometimes we get that connection and then we don't seek out real life connection as much you know that's the dark part of it when you like fall too deep into these things I mean QAnon is fan culture too yes sure is can we talk about the Taylor Swift thing for a minute yes yes (laughs) oh my gosh I see this iconic article thank you for putting this in in the show notes so there was this incredible article by Rachel Handler for Vulture Mm -hmm. and said it made me believe that love wasn't real anymore and I puked (laughs) Swifties on Cornelia Street take the Joe Alwyn breakup news as well as you'd expect. (laughs) And there are like thousands of gems, like truly. It's a hit after hit. Thousands, but I want to read just this one. Uh Giselle, 14, begged her mom to drive her here from New Jersey so she could drop off leftover Easter flowers in front of the house. I didn't think he would mind, says her mother, referring to Jesus Christ. (laughs) She agreed to the trip after witnessing her daughter's emotional response to the breakup. I started crying. I cried for a couple of hours. And the next day I stayed in my room all day, says Giselle calmly. People were checking in on me because I wasn't responding to anyone. It made me believe that love wasn't real anymore. And I puked. Her mom was initially startled. I said, what's wrong? She said, you don't understand. You're not a Swifty. I mean, you don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) My husband was like, is somebody hurt? (laughs) But after asking Giselle to clean up her vomit, she empathized with her daughter. I grew up in the 80s, she explains. I get it. Yeah. Incredible stuff. And then there is another 16-year-old quote in this article who says, my entire For You page is people crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. It's so intense. The thing that for me, I love Taylor Swift. As you and I were talking about, like I didn't realize how much I loved her. I knew I, I was- loved Taylor Swift. Yeah. But I, but you didn't know how much you loved Taylor Swift. I'm not Swift. Emotion, I'm like emotionally invested because I think she's so impressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the same way, when we talked about Vanderpump, I was like, no, 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 I'm not like upset on these people's behalf that they right. got cheated on. I just enjoy their output. I just kind of think between you and I, we're the perfect Taylor Swift fan. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm like an early Taylor mm-hmm. Swift fan. Mm-hmm. 1989 was where you left it. A little bit. Those were my eras. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You've kind of got the rest yeah, of the eras. Yeah, covered. I've got it covered for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I love her. I, I listen to her more than probably any single artist, at least according to my Spotify analysis. Who would know my better? Spotify analysis. It's not to say that I'm not emotionally invested. I might have been if I liked Joe Alwyn more, but I really just thought he was pretty we dry toast. We weren't meant to know him. I know, but it's, I am also just like, it, what I know of him is not, just, is not for me. 
Oh, same. But also we weren't we were not given much of that relationship and purposely. No, but I'm saying, you know, I didn't. <laughs> Listen, Harry like, and, Oli- I'm watching all Harry and you- Olivia weren't trying to give us a lot either. Oh, they invested did, in that. They I gave us more. Oh. Claire, they were on yachts. Come on. An entirely new, <laughs> an entire other episode. We can't even get started. You know what? I was emotionally invested in, Please. as were you, the Babysitter's Club. Yeah. We need to talk about some of the things we did love. It's like yeah. youth and then how- Original yeah. fandom. Yeah. Original fandom. Original fandom. I was really into the Babysitter's Club. I mean, I consumed it at what for my parents was an alarming rate. But yeah, I mean, you know, it it shaped me, I would say. I am an entrepreneur because Christy Thomas is an entrepreneur. I, I have been waiting for at least a decade for someone to be like, Christy Thomas is responsible for the girl bosses. The original girl boss, for sure. The original girl boss. Yeah. Like the babysitter's club yeah. is actually what bred a generation of entrepreneurs. Yes. Also the original Zodiac. Yeah. Like, are yeah. you a Christy with a Claudia rising. Are you a Stacey? What's your deal? Your moon and Marianne. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that babysitter's fandom has resurfaced for me a little bit recently because the original oil paintings this that is, were featured on the books yes. have been going on sale. Hodges Swallow has been putting them up for sale. He also it's did genius. He also did boxcar children Ugh, covers. God, I mean, boxcar children, like Bobsy twins, also you know, good. You yes. can picture all of yes. these. Yeah. I urge you all to look at the pictures of his studio with all these like babysitters club oil paintings pinned up it Mm -hmm. is just there's like something so visceral Mm -hmm. and also cool I don't know I don't know I would die for one of those what an incredible gift and if you look at his Instagram account and see people in the comments Claire it is not them being like oh my god these are amazing I want Mm -hmm. one it's them being like hello do you have book four book 12 (laughs) book 15 book 54 these are the ones that I would like thank you so much for your time like full on I mean I, I love everything about it my sense is that the most requested covers are Claudia covers. That makes sense. I mean, she had great style. I think Claudia fans translate well to adulthood. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. You and I bonded over Sanrio when we first met and our Sanrio fandom and dedication. Yeah, because you had a a Sanrio calendar in your freshman college dorm room. And I was like, oh, this person, one, loves Sanrio Uh and two, is confident enough to hang on in her (laughs) (laughs) dorm room. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Once again, your interpretation of my 18-year-old self is delightful to me. And also, like, I'm like, you're maybe giving me too much credit. I just... You're like, I'm not I'm not. I was self-aware like, enough to know that that would or be... Or I was just like, but no, this is cool. Like, well, it's objectively cool, so requires... There's no risk involved. I, I think it, it... Yes, that's all yeah. true also. Yeah, maybe. I didn't... I also... I couldn't tell you because I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you that I had a Sanrio calendar in my freshman college dorm room if you didn't yeah. tell me. Yeah. I, I believe you. I believe yeah. that you were right. But I do remember that, that you and I have always written each other on Sanrio stationery. I mean, since we have known each other, we have exchanged yeah. notes on Sanrio. That's <laughs> right. Paper. <laughs> I loved it as a kid because it was kid appropriate. Yeah. And then it had a resurgence around junior high, high school because of rave culture when everything Kitty became in, like even Sesame Street characters became cool again and you were wearing them on your ringer tees. Yeah, 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 yeah. And okay. then it okay. became cool again later, like post high school or right at the end of high school because Harajuku culture. That's sort of how Sanrio became a constant ultimately in my life. Oh my God. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. You have become really into Gudetama. 
Yeah. So in my household, I would say we would become a Sanrio household, which mm -hmm. I think more people should become. And I think that Gudatama, who we have discussed at length on another podcast episode, was responsible for that. There was a Sanrio contest at some point to choose like a new character. Right. And he came in second, which feels mm -hmm. exactly right for him. <laughs> he is a like apathetic egg yolk. Right. And just the yolk. It's specifically the yolk <laughs> and not the entire egg. Yeah. And his whole thing is like not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. Just basically like How are you learning about his whole thing? Oh, I follow him on Instagram. Okay. And he's like posting stuff with captions that express his personality. Oh, and, like, and images with text on them. Like a ton of... He Be posts a lot because and is a strong follow. Part of the appeal of Sanrio for me was that at least in the eras that I was interacting with it, at least in the United States. They had no voice or they- They had no voice. Yeah, there yeah. was not a lot of backstory. Every personality trait you would grant these characters was you sort of like deriving it based on very small signals in a diary you bought. Based on like the like tennis racket they were carrying yes. or the hot dog they were eating or whatever. Which I think was how, this comes up again later, but I, I didn't, we didn't have cable. I was rarely allowed to watch TV. So I, for me, like the fan culture that didn't have a TV show to yeah, be missing yeah, 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 out yeah, on yeah, was yeah, useful yeah. in that way. And I just, yeah, I like the sort of like weird anonymity of it. I think that's right. I think that Gudetama is a little bit outside of the Sanrio mold in that way. And he does now, in fact, have a television show. Interesting. I, I think I knew that. Yeah, he has a Netflix show. It Ooh. got written up in the dining section of the New York Times. <laughs> well, he's because an he's an egg. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> Which I just really loved as someone yeah. being like, I think I could get this pitch through. I think I, <laughs> I, I can make this happen. I think I can do this. Or, you know, they pitched it to Styles first and Styles was like, no thanks. They were like, I If I'm I recalling, it was like a staff dining section writer. Incredible. Who was like, it's yeah. food content. <laughs> it's food Incredible. content. Hello Kitty definitely has a show Oh, for sure. For sure. And oh, books and yeah. things like that yeah. at this point. Yeah. Thomas really also enjoys Gudetama and has some Gouda. He has a Gudetama pen at work. Mm, um, Gudetama nice. like hamburger disco pen, I think, is the mashup okay. happening here. Okay. I think Gudetama in this case is served as part of the hamburger. Um, oh, like an egg on a burger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as previously mentioned, not having cable and just having a very limited relationship with TV growing up, I think made me very self-conscious that I couldn't engage with fan culture in a better yeah. way. Like. I think when we were growing up, MTV was where most fan culture was generated. It was like yeah, TRL, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's how you learned about bands beyond just the radio. And you that's where the monoculture lived. Yeah. yeah, and that's you know you would you would fall in love with Blink One Eighty Two via MTV, and then write their name on your backpack, and then thank God that didn't happen for you. <laughs> I mean, thank God, right? <laughs> Possibilities for fan culture were limited, and so I. I landed on fashion brands as the thing to attach myself to yeah. and to give myself a personality vis-a-vis. -vis. And so for me, it was DKNY because I loved Donna Karen. My mom used to wear Donna Karen growing up. And then DKNY was like the cool little sister brand. And I was like, this is for me. I love this. And as one did, as a way of expressing fandom in that moment, I made my AOL screen name DKNY Claire, which as it should has like followed me from all my friends who knew me then because it's so ridiculous and embarrassing but never more embarrassing than when I landed a summer internship at DKNY and worked in the corporate offices when I was in high school. And then at the end of my internship, my bosses were like, let's keep in touch. Like, give me your email address. And then I wrote it down and <laughs> I'll truly never forget watching their faces when they were like, oh, DKNY Claire at AOL.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it was truly like dating a guy and him realizing you've been writing his name on your <laughs> notebooks for the last three years. Like it was like, 
Well, well, your name and his last name. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was as if I'd been writing Claire Karen. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And yes, of course, in retrospect, now I find it charming. And I, you know, I just like a lovable 16 year old thing to do. Yeah. And as yes. And as you say, in terms of brands to have attached yourself to Donna Karen has in many ways stood the test of time. So sure, I feel great about it now. It was truly ridiculous. Then That was my I would say my biggest sort of fan association experience yeah as, as yeah. A youth. yeah I did have some TV and movie fandom and I don't like I really wish I could understand how these were the shows or these were the things mm-hmm. for me I mean I certainly liked that they were like a little bit less popular perhaps but I was obsessed with my girl as a child Oh, yeah. So many people were, I forgot about how big My Girl was. I loved My Girl. I listened to the shit out of that soundtrack. Mm -hmm. I loved the style in it, the mood ring Mm -hmm. of it all, just Mm -hmm. like the personal Mm -hmm. style in general. Yeah. And then I really loved The Wonder Years. Loved The Wonder Years. I liked it. I was not, I was not into it in that way. I don't, again, I can't really explain. I was trying to put these pieces together and I was like, maybe there was like a late 60s, early 70s thing that I was drawn to because these, this is the like overlap. Yeah. Yes, these two yes. worlds. And I do like that aesthetic, certainly. Like well, that has that definitely aesthetic shaped was really my... cool when yeah. we were kids, which is interesting. I never I remember just thinking it's the 90s, so we're into the 70s because we're always into what was 20 years old. But right. I didn't think about the fact that the Wonder Years was the Daisy Jones and the Six of that moment where it was like the TV show that helped sort of usher in the trend, yeah. the, the aesthetic trends in that way. I broadcast my affection for Wonder Years loudly enough mm-hmm. that when I was a freshman in high school, some boy recorded episodes for me and gave me VHS tapes <gasps> as a show of like crushed them. It was like the, instead of a mixtape, he gave you VHSs of recorded Wonder Years. Yeah. Am I wrong that Wonder Years was pretty dark at times? Yeah. Or, it was like kind of really sad. Guess what also was? My girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Also true. I think I like must have wanted to yeah. really process loss and grief and like hard things. <laughs> but the other thing. Yeah. And this is also fascinating to me looking back. Like how was this a thing that we obsessed over? A friend and I were like super fans of not just my best friend's wedding, but the my best friend's wedding soundtrack. Oh girl, same. Me and Jocelyn Trigg. <laughs> me saw and it in Monica the movie Wong. Theater. <laughs> saw it in the movie theaters, went right to Sam Goody and got the CD. And Where I else can were you going to go? the CD. Oh, of course you can picture the CD. Yeah. Why, Claire? How, like, I honestly, g- explain to me why. Okay. That one, ugh, of course, I can't conjure it. No. Wishing and Hoping? Yes. The Annie DeFranco cover of Wishing and Hoping? <laughs> no, there's that. But what's the song that they all sing at the end around the table? Oh, in the middle of the, in the, middle of the movie. Yeah. Say a Little Prayer. Yes. Say yeah. a Little Prayer. Like, I mean, that scene is incredible. It's an iconic scene. It's a great song that hadn't been in rotation at all for Correct. a really long time. Correct. Correct. And there's another really iconic song like that. Let's just look up the playlist. Tell Him. Yeah. Tell, Tell him, him was on it. You Don't Know Me. Jan Arden. Don't Don't Know Me was major. Yes, that's what I was thinking of too. Yeah. What the world needs now is love. Honestly, the the answer to your question of why is that it's hit after hit after hit after hit. I say a little prayer. The way you look tonight, like whoever did this soundtrack was was really good. Great movie. Great soundtrack. The fact that you even in that time could (laughs) express your fandom for these things, like where, how, when, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. One hundred percent. Because- yeah, I, I truly think it was your AOL screen name, your backpack. 
if your parents were really wonderful, they would let you buy branded merch for things. But right. that's kind of it. I My way of expressing so much of this was through collage. I did mm. <laughs> so much yeah. collaging okay. at yeah. that age. I like, love that. In high school. Uh-huh. Yeah. I cut up so many magazines. That was really, <laughs> really core to who I was. Excellent. <laughs> I forgot that you also really attached yourself to Barbie. Yes. And you know what? I'm feeling really great about it right now. Yeah, it's really coming full circle. I totally forgot about your Barbie moment in college. We're great about it right now. So I loved Barbie as a child. And then in college, I lived in an apartment that had a bright pink living room. And Mm -hmm. we called it the Barbie dream house. Did you guys paint it? No, came that way. We... Let me just be clear. We did nothing to that apartment. We didn't clean it once. painted your bedroom Tiffany blue. It was more of a mint. Tiffany blue probably would have been cooler. (laughs) (laughs) You were a very big Audrey Hepburn fan at that point. So I trust that if you had wanted it to be (laughs) Tiffany blue, it would have been Tiffany blue. That's right. That's right. That's right. I, yeah, like really went hard at the Barbie thing at that age. My roommates and I dressed up as Barbies for Halloween one year. I went to a Bulls game and I achieved a bucket list goal of being on the Jumbotron, Mm -hmm. which... Again, if you dress up as Barbie and go to a sporting event, that is not a hard thing to do. But it is feeling really good right now to watch Barbie fan culture emerge and for like oh, yeah. the Barbie experience to be opening in LA. The movie has not even come out yet. <laughs> but I think that there's also something about fandom that can be like this, even the Barbie thing of just like this became like a foundational relationship thing. You know what I mean? I mean, fandom is also just a way of in in this way and certainly with Barbie of people explaining who they are to you without actually having to do that. Like you you let somebody know that you're a Barbie fan and they understand what kind of a kid you were, right? Like all of a sudden they understand you on a much deeper level. Yes. And just that like Bonding over these passions and these obsessions can become these this way to create a foundation for a friendship that you can keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. There's always mm-hmm. a well there, yeah. you know? There's yeah. always like a well there. And I think that when we don't have places to express that fandom as adults or when we don't have that with our friends, we lose that like little well to go back to. Mm. I don't know. I was talking to the guy, the wonderful man who cuts my hair the other day and he was mm. telling me about how his best friend in California they're both obsessed with fashion and they text about it all the time. And his mm. wife can tell when she's texting him and the face he's making and will be like, how's your friend doing? Yeah. And that they've been friends forever. This fashion obsession is very, it's like fuels him. You know what? Like, yeah. It well, gives like, you something to talk about. Something gives you something to, to talk with. about. And these bursts of almost comfort, yeah. like cold yeah. comfort and escapism yeah. too, in a lot of ways that I think are like harder to find in adult relationships. And, and it also like, I'm like a tennis fan but mm-hmm. I don't have sports teams that I follow. Mm-hmm. And it makes me kind of understand and wish that I had a little bit more of that. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? It's funny in in this sense, I also think fan culture is so healthy for teen girls because if they're not talking about that, then they're talking shit on somebody else or yeah. they're talking about boys or, you know, whatever yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah. Like teens in particular just will very quickly go to a darker place. <laughs> yeah, totally. Speaking of sports stuff. Mm-hmm. You had a big sports fandom household. Oh, huge sports up. fandom household. There was there were constantly sports on primarily baseball, basketball, football. Mm-hmm. And my dad's take on on his Cardinals fandom is the Cardinals will always be there for you. Mm. And I think the point of that, which, you know, mm-hmm. not entirely sure, is just that it is this constant. It is this thing that you can come back to. Yeah. They will always be there for you and that you will always be able to escape into that and to be able to distract yourself with that and be able to root for that. In what context would he deliver this? Mm, great question. 
I think for a while he was trying to get me to be a Cardinals fan oh, okay. and it wasn't really happening. Why not? Well, baseball. Yeah, but it's good shade of red. Oh, totally. I Listen, I would be a Cardinals fan for gear. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. But well, what I, else is there? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. But like watching a Yeah, no, a I baseball baseball's extraordinarily boring. They're working on yeah. trying to speed it up because it's a bit slow. Let's see what the pitch clock does. You yeah. Know, who knows? If but, they think that's slow, I attended my first toddler <laughs> t-ball game last weekend and that was slow, my friends. <laughs> I went to a lot of youth baseball yeah. growing up and it did not breed mm-hmm. a long-term <laughs> yeah. appreciation for baseball. I live in a, like a bit of a secret sports household mm-hmm. now. Thomas does engage with yeah. sports a lot. And like I said, like it's part of his oblivion time and yeah. his, you know, mm-hmm. his like late night routine. There was a season where his sports fandom was so intense because of the season that the Packers were having, the season mm-hmm. that University of Wisconsin mm-hmm. basketball was having and the NCAA tournament and the season that Serena Williams was having. Mm-hmm. Every basically <laughs> perfect storm. Everyone lost the like big game okay was how it went down and serena losing the u.s open that year in the semis i think was so devastating for him mm-hmm. that he canceled plans he and i had to go to a movie he was so <laughs> heartbroken over it and instead i was like no 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 like we're gonna mm-hmm. like we need to have a conversation about this because yeah. this cannot yeah. be the thing yeah so he and i went out for a drink and initiated what became a year-long sports sabbatical because he needed to divest a bit from his <laughs> fandom. It was well, didn't it also coincide with like some intense school work he, or something? Yeah, it was when he, he was, was in grad school, he was like, I really need to focus on school right now. And yes, this can't, and he I was like, I time. do need to take this time back. Like I can't be. So I think I can't remember what he allowed himself to do. I think maybe. He allowed himself to check the scores, but not to read any analysis. I don't think he watched any games. I don't know. There were like very specific okay. rules in plays. Here's um, what I want to understand. Yeah. And I'm going to add a little context. My family did not have sports fandom growing up. My dad has now and like right before. Your dad's become a real NBA fan. And he did like sort of late in high school. I probably, again, when we got cable, I think yeah. that that's what, when it happened. It was pretty foreign to me growing up. And I dated a guy towards the end of high school who was super into football and I will never forget watching a important football game with him and his team lost and he cried and I was the way my head spun I just (laughs) was like but you didn't play in the game and like it's not your fault and you don't actually know any of these people it was deeply hard for me to relate to and which I I want to understand when he was so upset about Serena's loss that he canceled your plans was he, did he feel sad for Serena? Yes. Was he upset with her? Was he frustrated no. with her? No, no, uh-uh. What uh-uh. is the source of the sadness and the nature of the sadness in that moment? Like, he didn't have money on this. This isn't like a oh, personal no. loss. No, 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 he would never, yeah. he would absolutely never. Yeah. No, he, he feels bad for the loss that the players felt and feels like bad for how, like how far they've came and how close they've got. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I shouldn't. This is also when you. okay, if if you're when you're a Serena fan. Mm -hmm. okay, when you watch Serena play, you witness all of her emotions. Mm. And so, you know, when she's mad at herself and, you know, when things aren't going her way. And you also know when she's like feeling awesome. And so I think it's very easy to engage in an emotional way. This makes total sense for me if you're feeling sorry for the people and you're sad on their behalf. I guess I, I get that. And that's honestly part of the reason that I don't watch sports is because I get so fucking anxious. 
The minute I get emotionally invested, the stakes are too high for me. It is exhausting. I do think the human interest of it, it would not work for you. It doesn't because work for it, me at it, all. Because and it's I, the other way. Because, yeah, because it becomes a problem for you. I think I find it a little more challenging with a professional team to invest in that yeah. way. From basketball, like it, it, of course it's a team sport, but I feel like you know, like you just get such a sense of them as individuals. Well, of course, of course. When you got really upset about college basketball – there was a like sense of this is the last chance they'll have. This mm. is the last year they'll play together. Yeah. Most of these yeah. people will not go on to play professionally. Yeah. So there there was this like, but I feel sorry for Frank Kaminsky or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I feel like sad for this these players to not be able to like have another shot at this. They're like feeling like sad for Tom Brady for losing a game. I'm like, I don't yeah. quite get it. He's fine. He's still getting paid. Don't worry about it. He's going to be okay. Yeah, I, sports fandom, absolutely not for me. You're just setting yourself up for heartbreak. Like, what's the worst that can happen to Harry Styles? He has a dud of an album. Like, boo-hoo. He'll be fine. <laughs> He'll be I just, fine. you know, I, but to like every week, sometimes multiple times a week, set yourself up for the potential of heartbreak. My God. <laughs> it's not for you. It's, it's definitely absolutely not for, you. not for me. Do you um, have anything else to say about fandom? Well, I we simply don't have the time, but I wouldn't want us to get through this entire episode without mentioning fish, which is a fan culture that you and I both have people in our lives. We have proximity to that fan culture. Yeah. And that's interesting because like my friend who's super into fish, she's in these fish Facebook groups and group chats and whatever. And it's like she's finding things. It, they have nothing to do with fish. It expands finding, way beyond fish. It's just, it's a common ground. And and I think well, it's community. It's community. But I think especially with fish, there is a certain like, we both have a similar approach to life a little bit or. Yeah, fish know, isn't a band, fish is a mindset. That's right. Is that a, is that a saying on a no, t-shirt? But it is but a it, little bit. But it could and be. I think what's great about it is like, you have like people from all It's a school of, of thought. It's a fish. school. <laughs> it's a fish school of thought. But yeah, it's fascinating to me the things that I will learn that this friend of mine has found out via her fish fan groups is the whole thing. There's just so much fandom happening and I'm just weirdly excited about it and like yeah. want to participate more. I agree. I, yeah. tr I truly think I to bring it back full circle and what we were talking about at the beginning, like I really think it's the cringe of it all where we're all just like, why not just like lean into what you love and be yourself and, broadcast and be earnest it. about yeah. it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us make this podcast happen, especially to our wonderful producer, Ali Slice. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ, and if you have ideas for our show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com too. If you love the show, consider supporting it by signing up for our secret menu also at a thing or two HQ.com. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.